listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Uh, Thank you for being here today. Uh, I am pleased to welcome our guest speaker today, uh, Eric Holm, who is the executive director of Youth for Christ for Polk County. So come on up, Eric. Thank you. Well, good morning. What a beautiful uh, worship time together. Um, The words in that song, Oh, and this is our hope. The cross, it is spoken. Death is no more. Christ is the Lord. This is our hope. I hope you know that hope this morning. I love, 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 love that song. Um, Excited to be with you today. Um, I am the the executive director at Youth for Christ here in Polk County. And uh, let me start by saying thank you, church. Uh, You have done so much to support the ministry of Youth for Christ and being involved and being a part of of what God is doing there. Um, I've been back at Youth for Christ full-time for about three and a half years. Uh, Served as a volunteer for a long time before that. Was on staff a few years before that, and a volunteer. I like just can't can't go away, can't get away from it. Love uh, what the ministry is. Started with Youth for Christ in about 1998. I just graduated high school and was invited to come and share at the Polk Halfway House in Bartow. And I walked in, knowing that God had called me into ministry and being involved in some sort of vocational ministry, but didn't know exactly what that was. Knew it was with student ministry, uh, but went into the halfway house and sat down and started talking to kids. And I knew that that God was going to keep me here for a long time. So uh, blessed to be a part of that ministry and everything that's going on. Um, We love having Pastor Kevin. Man, what a great pastor you all have. I mean, for real, um, just a man that leads from the front and is involved and gets his hands dirty. I love that he's, you know, like, okay, I'm going to go hang out with the kids and you can come and and preach. Um, Not many would do that. And so um, you all are very, very blessed to have him. Um, He did tell me that I should mention that Youth for Christ has an upcoming annual benefit dinner. Um, So he's going to send out more information. I have a handful of these invitations. Maybe some of you might have gotten them in the mail. Thursday night, March the 2nd, will be held at Heartland Church in Winter Haven. Uh, Dinner and doors will open at 6. There'll be dinner and a program. You'll be able to hear from some of the kids that are involved in the ministry, uh, some others that are a part of what's going on. So if you can join us for that evening, that would be great. Really simple to register. You can go online to givelifespeakjesus.org. Um, that's going to be the theme for the evening, givelifespeakjesus.org. You can register there. It's free to come, attend, hang out with us, and uh, just hear about all that God is doing at Youth for Christ. So that would be great. A little bit of background on me. I'll tell you who I am. I grew up in Winter Haven. I've lived here since I was six months old. My plan was to leave as soon as I could. Uh, but that wasn't God's plan. I think um, like a, a lot of kids that grow up and wherever they grow up, they're like, we got to get out of here. Um, and I'm still here. Um, my family moved away when I was about 20. I'm still looking for them. And I hope, no, I'm just kidding. They moved to the coast. Um, 
they, uh, my parents grew up, my dad specifically grew up on the water, wanted to be closer to the coast. They moved to the coast. I stayed behind. Uh, been involved in a, a couple different areas of ministry, Youth for Christ all along, uh, but also worked for the sheriff's office for a little while. And it was really a cool thing. I worked for, the sh- for Youth for Christ, and um, one of the facilities that we did ministry in was the juvenile boot camp, and they asked me to come work there full time and keep doing the things that I was doing but let Uncle Grady pay for it. So it was really a, a great thing and um, worked out really well. And then um, some changes and stayed with the sheriff's office for about another year before going back into full-time vocational ministry, working at a local church in town um, as the student pastor there. And, um, and then back here to Youth for Christ. I'm married. I have three kids. They are 10, a 10-year-old daughter, a 25-year-old son, and a four-year-old daughter in that order. Um, so our, our daughter, Addison, 10 years old, going to be going into middle school this year. Pray for us. I'm praying for her because I work with students. I know what that means. So, um, and then we have our son, Miguel. Uh, that's not a typical name that, that I probably would have chosen you might be able to figure that out. But Miguel is a kid that I met when he was about 11 years old and um, was involved in one of our breakfast club neighborhood groups and kind of running the streets, doing his thing. And uh, through God, uh, he came to live with our family. He was about 16 years old and, uh, and then graduated George Jenkins High School. Got married last Sunday. And so that was fun. Got to do that wedding. And um, He is a great, great young man. God has really done a lot in his life. He lived with us for three years before he came to know Christ, uh, which was kind of fun too, uh, just to know that God was working all along. And um, so he is a a great, great guy. And and then we have our daughter, Kinsley, who is four years old. And uh, she is a joy. The girls are very different. If you have multiple children, maybe you've experienced this. It was new to me. Uh, Addison like morning person. She gets herself up. She sets her alarm for 6.15. She gets up before I do. Uh, she sets her alarm. She gets herself dressed. She has breakfast. She, I, I think she reads the Wall Street Journal or something. I don't know what she does. Um, and then she's ready for school. And we go in to wake up my younger daughter, who's going into kindergarten this year. And she likes to go in, be the big sister and wake her up. She's very sweet and kind about it. Probably one of the only times. But she goes in and she's like, good morning, Kinsley. And Kinsley's like, ah, leave me alone. So it's very different. And um, I think it's, it's kind of funny. Um, all of our kids are adopted. And I say that because um, just a, a beautiful story of God working and how that came to be. Uh, like I could spend the whole time talking about that and, and showing in God's word. He, he talks about us being adopted as his children. And um, there's just some really cool stories along the lines with that. The fun, the, one of the fun parts of that was Kinsley. Um, we had been an approved waiting family to adopt for three years uh, before Kinsley came. And we kind of got to the point where we thought, well, maybe, maybe God isn't going to do this. Maybe there's something else. And um, so we kind of, we, we had moved and the, the baby room was just full of junk. You know, you just, what are we going to do? Just put it in there. We don't need, just put it in there. All the baby stuff was in the attic. And it was a, a Monday evening. We got a phone call at about 530 from a social worker at the organization that we adopted through. And they said, hey, there was a little baby girl born on Friday She's ready to be released from the hospital through a set of circumstances. Her biological parents want us to find a good home for her. Do you want her? 
Well, yes, yes, we want her. Um, and, and then the social worker says, and, and my wife and I weren't even together, like we're three-way call with, with the social worker, like we'll call you right back, right? And then um, I, I talked to my wife and we're figuring this all out and, and she, my wife was like, so what, what did she just say? I said, she said we gotta drive to the hospital in Lake County and pick up a, a little baby girl. And the, the social worker called us back and she said, hey, listen, I live in Tampa, the baby's ready to be released, so we'll just, I'll be at your house in an hour. Okay, uh, bring some diapers, would you? Because we ain't got nothing. <laughs> nothing. So, oh, and it was great because Miguel wasn't home, and my older daughter, she was super excited. Um, and, and so she was jumping around, and we told her she, she'd been praying for a baby sister. And so we told her, she's like, I'm going to tell Miguel. Well, Miguel wasn't home. He got home like 20 minutes before this baby arrived at our house. And Addison said to Miguel, we're going we're gonna to have a baby. And he's like, oh, cool. Well, wh- whose baby is it? Like, are we babysitting? And she's like, no, it's our. It's, it was a whole thing. So... But I'm really excited to be here this morning and share from God's Word. And, you know, Pastor Kevin's working with our kids. And I thought, okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll look at a scripture that we probably all learned in children's church somewhere along the way if you grew up in church. So this morning, I want us to look in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. I, I'm sure that if you have been in church for uh, an extended amount of time, you know this passage. You've heard it. Um, it's, it's what we call the great commandment. And so you're probably familiar with it, but I want to read it together. And then uh, we're going to kind of unpack it a little bit and, and see what we can apply to our lives. So Luke chapter 10, verses 20. Oh, look, it's going to be up there too. So here we go. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, He had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together um, as the church, the body of believers who can come and we can worship together. 
We can sing to you. We can sing about you. We can praise your name. God, we can declare your word. And God, I pray that over the next few moments that you would use this in our life, that you would speak to us through this familiar passage. Father, um, just use this time this morning, I pray. Amen. All right, so Jesus is here. He's doing his earthly ministry, and he's calling people to follow him, right? He's been out. He's calling the disciples, and he's teaching and saying, come follow me. Some do. Some follow Jesus, but others don't. We see that today. Some, some follow along. They hear the word of Jesus and they, they follow and others don't. And this is what's going on. Uh, but really, if we look at what Jesus was saying, uh, we would probably think, May, maybe he needs like a PR guy. Maybe he needs a little bit of, of, of wordsmithing because his words weren't really telling people what they had hoped to hear. He, he's saying things like, you know, there's going to be suffering it was like, sign me up. No, thank you, right? I mean, we don't like suffering, but he's saying, hey, there's, there's going to be suffering. He says, bless those who persecute you. Really not the greatest sales pitch when we're saying, hey, come and follow me. But Jesus is, is sharing truth. And really, there's, there's a parallel with today's society and today's culture, if you stop and think about it. The gospel is pretty offensive in today's culture, the gospel is, is not politically correct. There are a lot of things that if we stand on God's word, there are going to be people who don't want to hear it. There are going to be people that turn away. In fact, there are probably going to be a lot of people who try to persecute you when we stand on God's word. And so Jesus is calling people, some follow and some don't. But here in Luke chapter 10, we see this conversation unfold between Jesus and this lawyer. Now, I won't tell any attorney jokes because there might be some in the room. I'm just kidding. But there's this, this conversation that happens between Jesus and this lawyer. This man is a part of the religious elite. He studied the scripture. He knows the word. He, he knows what's going on. He's educated. And some say that really he's trying to trick Jesus or at very least putting him to the test. But the Jewish man asked Jesus, Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God. We might say, what, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to, to begin a relationship with God? And so there's this question that's asked, and really it's a pretty important question. Out of all the questions that we have, this would be a pretty important question. But Jesus doesn't just give him a simple answer. Jesus answers his question with a question. Don't you love when people do that to you? I mean, anybody, anybody in here a teacher? Just quick show of hands. Any teachers? Right. Okay. You know, when a kid asks a question sometimes, you ask, hey, Miss Smith, how do I spell? So well, how do you think you spell? I'm like, I'm asking you. I don't know. That was my favorite. Well, go look it up in the dictionary. If I knew how to spell it. Anyways. <laughs> so Jesus asks the man who asked him a question, he asks a question back. Jesus, knowing that this guy is educated, he knows the scripture, he knows the religious law, he knows what was given to Moses, and he, he responds back to him in verse 26 and says this, what's written in the law? How do you read it? 
who's like, okay, you, you, Mr. Smarty Pants, you think you know everything. How do you read it? You tell me what's required to obtain eternal life. And verse 27, and he, the lawyer, answered. Now, I, I can kind of picture this in my head. Jesus gives this question back, and, and this guy, he's feeling kind of proud of himself because, because I was in Awana, and I won the Timothy Award, and I know the answer. And he stands up probably really proudly, and he says, you shall love, like really loud, like wants everybody to hear, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your strength and your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Like I, I can picture that. Like that's what he was, he was super proud. The, the lawyer refers back to what he, what he has memorized. He recites it from the law that was given to Moses. We see it back in Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four and five. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your soul and with all of your might. Or in Leviticus 19, 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this lawyer knew the scripture. And he probably felt very proud of himself in this moment. Now, when I read this, we think about it. We say, love the Lord. And we read that and we're like, probably for most of us, like, okay, love the Lord. Love the Lord with, with all of you. Cool. Like, I want that. I want to do that. Um, that's, that's good. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And, and really, I'm a pretty simple guy. And we see love. And we're like, yeah, okay. Cool. I mean, Valentine's Day is coming up this week, right? Love. But in reality, this word love, we use it different ways, right? Like it can mean different levels of love, different things. Like I love my wife and I love my kids and I love tacos. But I love those things differently. And so when we see this love your neighbor, we love on different levels and we love in different contexts and in different ways and places and times. So we, we, I dove a little bit deeper on the context of how the word love is used here. And in this text, it, it comes from the Greek word agapao. All right, the Greek word agapao. Now I want to read to you kind of what this means. When we use the word love in this context, here's, here's what this means. Agapao expresses the purest, noblest form of love, which is volitionally driven, not motivated by superficial appearance, emotional attraction, or sentimental relationship. Agapao expresses the ideal kind of love, of which is exercised by the will rather than emotion, not determined by the beauty or desirability of the object or the person, but the noble intention of the one who loves. Agapal speaks of love that is awakened by a sense of value in an object, which causes one to prize it. It sounds a lot like when we say that we should love the unlovable, doesn't it? Because it's not about the value or the worth of the item or the person. It's about the intrinsic value 
And so when we talk about love your neighbor, we are created in God's image, right? And we should love others because of the image of God. They were created in the image of God. They're created by him and for him. And so therefore, we should love others because of that. You know, when we think about loving the unlovable, this is kind of what we're talking about. Not just the comfortable neighbor that, you know, brings our garbage can in for us. It goes on, verse 29, And he, Jesus, said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Listen, when I see this in Scripture, I read this and I think, boy, this is really when things start to go off the rails, right here. Like, desiring to justify himself. If you take some time to try to justify yourself to Jesus or to God, not not a good idea. That's probably not a good place to be in because I don't think you're going to be really successful in that. You just got done saying, love God with everything. Talking about this perfect love towards God and expressed, expressed in all the things that you say and do and how you live your life. And this, this scribe, this lawyer, just kind of glosses over that, right? It's like, check, yep, I do that. I love God perfectly with all of my being, in the way that I speak, in the way that I, I talk, the things that I do and how I think, I've got this down. I, I don't. I, I, I don't. I'm thinking this is kind of crazy. He just kind of glosses over this. And then in, a, in an attempt to measure up, he's like, okay, I got that part. Yeah, okay, cool, whatever. Love God, but who's my neighbor? So then Jesus, instead of responding like, okay, here's the answer, here's what you do, Jesus begins to use a parable. He tells them a story. It's like story time with Jesus. He's like, okay, smart guy, have a seat. Let's, let's have story time with Jesus. And then in verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, Jericho, I think it's important to understand, Jericho is about 18 miles from Jerusalem. So it's a bit of a trek, right? They, they don't, we don't have vehicles. We're riding a donkey or walking this thing, right? 18 miles, that's a long walk. Going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jericho is about 3,500 feet below Jerusalem in elevation. So it, it's 18 miles, 3,500 feet difference. Like, if you've been in Florida like me all your life, you're like, I don't understand this elevation change thing. I don't know how that works. Um, I'm going to be in, in Colorado next week, and it's like, I'm there, I'm like, man, I can't breathe. Gosh, what's going on? So there's this elevation change. It's this rocky, terrestrial, uh, I was trying to use a big word there. I can't, can't use that word. Uh, it, it, was, it was not an easy path. Treacherous, that's the word that I was thinking that didn't come out. Treacherous journey from, from one place to the other. It's a dry, desert, rocky, mountainous 
trip. Now, this area was also known to be very dangerous, and people often would be at risk for being robbed and beaten and, and you know, bad stuff happens. And this is exactly what happens in the story that Jesus is telling them. So all the people are listening to this story, and they're thinking in their head, oh yeah, like that could happen. Like, oh yeah, y'all remember Joe last week? Joe was here, they got beat down and took all of his stuff, and yeah, that, that kind of thing happens. The man was robbed and left half dead. Yeah. So they're, they're following Jesus. They're tracking with him. They're hearing the story. They're like, yeah, that makes sense. We're, we're with you so far. Nobody was surprised by this. And then in verse 31, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw the guy that had gotten beat up, he passed by on the other side. And we, we read the beginning of this. We're like, great, somebody's coming. We're going to help. And, and it's a priest. So certainly the guy's going to stop and do something to help. But as most of us know, the guy's like, nope, goes way on the other side of the road and keeps right on trekking. The priest moves, keeps moving. We don't know exactly why the priest doesn't help. We don't read that in Scripture. Jesus didn't elaborate. We've kind of speculated that there may be some reasons. The priest doesn't want to become ceremonially unclean because I've got duties. I'm, I'm a priest. I've got certain responsibilities. And if I stoop down and help this man who might be dead, well, then I can't do my priestly duties. And I've got to go through all these steps to be allowed again and to be clean and to be able to go into the temple. So I'm just going to pass on by. So the priest walks across, doesn't help. We don't know, like I said, exactly why. Maybe he was running late, had to get to church on time. We don't, we don't really know. But the fact is, he moves to the other side of the road and keeps on moving. Verse 32, so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by also on the other side. Again, somebody that we would expect to help. The Levite's like the helper of the priest. And you so helper. You think the guy would stop and, and give the guy a hand or you know, something like here's some bandages or I'll call for help. Nope. He passes by on the other side. And I wonder, you know, we read this and we're really good at saying things like, that wasn't very nice. They shouldn't have done that. Man, I can't believe that they didn't stop and help. We're really good at realizing other people's mistakes. But I wonder just for a moment, have you ever been too busy to help somebody else? Have you ever been too important? Oh, wow. That's, that's somebody else's job. Running late? Or perhaps, well, that's just not my calling. Oh, work in children's church? Oh, that's just not my calling. Oh, stack chairs and, and clean? Oh, that's... That's just not my calling. We, we, we like to make little church words to justify our actions. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Now listen, just side note, the crowd is listening to this and now they're in shock. They don't understand what's going on here. They don't understand. They certainly didn't expect Jesus to say the Samaritan had compassion because these groups of people don't like each other. 
They hate each other. They fight against each other. They, they're, 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 they just don't want to have anything to do with one another. The Jews looked down upon the Samaritans like they were just the lowest of low. And so there's this, this story time with Jesus. And then all of a sudden there's probably this, oh, what? Goes on to say, he went to him. The, the Samaritan goes to him. He bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So the guys that we would expect to help keep walking, and then all of a sudden here comes the Samaritan, the guy who, honestly, people would have expected him to stop, but not to help. Probably just to make sure the guy was really dead, finish him off, take the last little bit of stuff that he might be able to get from the guy. That's what the crowd would have expected from this guy. But no, he stops and he has compassion. And there's this plot twist in Jesus' parable in the story that he's telling now, I think there's some important things that we see here. This guy, this Samaritan, he doesn't see the man and just give him like this half-drink bottle of water and some leftover cookies. It's not just this passing, here, maybe this will help, and I go on. He goes above and beyond to the extreme to help his neighbor, to help this man, to care for him, and to even show him Love. Agapau love. Because this man has no value according to culture and society, but he stops and he helps. Remember the kind of love that is exercised by the will rather than emotion. It's not determined by the beauty or the desirability of an object or this person. This half-to-death beaten guy from another culture with absolutely nothing to offer in exchange for help. This was not a desirable setting. Really, it's kind of dangerous because maybe this is a setup. It's kind of dangerous because I should keep moving because somebody could come out and rob me. Not a desirable setting, not a desirable circumstance, and not even a desirable human being. The Samaritan has nothing to gain. But yet, he stops and says that he bound up his wounds. That cost him something. And I'm using my supplies to help this man. It says he poured oil and wine on his wounds. That cost him something. Now I'm using my supplies, but now I'm using even more. Then he puts the guy on his own means of transportation. Now not only is it costing me my supplies, it's costing me my time. Now it's costing me my comfort. I was riding my donkey, minding my own business, and now I got to walk. It's costing him something. He takes him to an inn and he pays for it. Not only did he pay for the night, but he pays ahead for it. And then he says, hey, listen, I've got to go. I'll be back keep taking care of this guy, and basically writes a blank check and says, whatever is necessary, I will take care of it when I get back. I would say that's loving a neighbor, right? 
I would say that that's extravagant and extreme love for someone else. This person that he doesn't know, he takes two denarii worth and, and he, he gives the guy money for the, the room. And, and I don't know, like I, I've read a couple different things that might have been enough to pay for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. I guess it depends on if it was like, you know, Motel 6 or the Hilton. I don't know. But it was enough to cover some time while he's there. And then whatever else comes, I'll take care of it. As opposed to a half-drink bottle of water and some breadcrumbs. Over-the-top care for a stranger, for the least of these. And then in verse 36, Jesus, in conclusion of the story, that, that certainly would have elicited some really strong feelings as the people, like they were with him in the beginning, and now they're like, oh, this is really uncomfortable. They were probably getting pretty angry. And then all of a sudden, Jesus takes this entire thing and like drops it on the scribe. And he asks the guy the question, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Like, this is really not a hard question. This is, this is a pretty simple question. It's like the, the, the nice teacher that wants you to earn the extra credit and says, you know, last question, write your name and you get 10 points. Like, it's a really simple question. Which one do you think proved to be a neighbor? And the, the man said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. What's really interesting to me is that, in essence, this changes the question that was asked of Jesus. Instead of saying, who is my neighbor, it kind of changes the question that we should ask to how can I be a neighbor? Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You know what I think is interesting is he didn't say, hey, once a year when they're doing a food collection, go through your pantry, pick out the cans that are about to expire and bring them in. <laughs> he didn't say, you know, hey, every once in a while, you know, when you're checking out at, at the grocery store and they're like, would you like to donate a dollar for hungry children? He says, go and do likewise. This is an ongoing, active directive. Not a, hey, once a year, check the box. It's missions week, rah, rah. We're all gonna get together and do this thing. It's an ongoing lifestyle of somebody who is following Jesus. So as we've walked through this passage, I wanna share some takeaways with you. Because I think that as we've grown up, especially you think back to those, those children's church stories, we learn about the Good Samaritan. We should help other people, right? We should love our neighbor. We should, but I think there's some more things that we can learn from this. I think there's some things that we can, we can take away in addition to. We're, we'll have grown up church and we'll go the next step and we'll, we'll look what else can we learn from this passage, from this parable that Jesus is teaching from. How can we put these things into action? Well, the first thing that I think we can do is to understand that simply knowing the rules is not enough. 
Simply memorizing Scripture, knowing the answer to the rule, and doing nothing with it, it's not enough. I mean, this guy, he knew the Scripture. He had memorized it. He learned it. He knew what the, the, the right answer was. But he certainly wasn't living it. He certainly wasn't trying to, to do this. In fact, he's trying to use Scripture to, to do the opposite or to make a point or to prove Jesus wrong. Just knowing it is not enough. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You can quote the verse, but if you do nothing with it, then it's useless. What's your lifestyle like? What's your actions say to people? Do your actions say that you really love Jesus and love your neighbor? Simply knowing the rules is not enough. Another thing is the heart behind our obedience matters. The heart behind our obedience matters. Remember the guy said, and it says this in that, that passage, in trying to justify himself, he asked, who is my neighbor? He wasn't trying to understand the right answer. He wasn't trying to do the right thing. He was trying to justify himself. He was trying to make himself feel good about what he was doing. Simply obeying for the sake of obeying is not the benchmark. It's about a change of our heart. Like, I want my kids to make good choices and to treat people right, but not just because I'm over top of them saying, don't talk like that to your sister. Don't hit her. Don't do this. Stop arguing. Stop. It's because I want them to have the heart to love one another. Not simply because they're afraid of the consequences. The heart behind our obedience matters. This is about allowing God to change our heart so that we can have agapow love for others and helping us to love others the way that really he loves us. Because if you want to know the truth, we are not a desirable object. We live, we, we live in a sinful, broken place. But God, in his love for us, not because we earned it, right? And how should we then love and serve other people? Not just don't be mean, not don't just don't hurt people, but how can you serve others? Another thing is don't let the rules cause you to miss out. Don't let the rules, the expectations of others cause you to miss what God wants for you to do and how you should live your life. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, think about the story that was being told. Jesus is telling this group of people a story about this guy going and, and going through a place that really he shouldn't be. The reality is he shouldn't be taking this journey by himself. Honestly, he kind of deserves to get beaten up. He deserved to be robbed. I mean, who in their right mind would take this journey from that place to this place knowing that it's a dangerous place to go? And you think to yourself, well, I, I, I wouldn't do that. We do that. We call it victim blaming. Oh, yeah. They need our help now to buy groceries. Yeah, but what about that $5,000 tax return they got a month ago? Instead, they bought a new MacBook Pro. 
We blame others. We judge them for their choices and their, their decisions before we decide whether the, that, that we should give them help. We think to ourselves, you know, they got themselves into that situation. They can get themselves out. Yet, you know, they're homeless because they don't want to do anything about it. They, they, they can't go get a job. You get a job, you get things, and you still need some help, then come and talk to me. We, we blame people. Jesus doesn't give us these outs in this story. He doesn't say, well, if they deserve it. Well, if they're doing their part. Now, I'm not saying that we don't encourage people to do the right thing. I'm not saying that we don't help them along the way. But there's not, there's not these little benchmarks of justification in this story that Jesus uses. Think about the priest. When we talk about don't let the rules cause you to miss out. The, the priest had certain expectations and rules, right? Like he thought it was super important that he keeps moving and so he didn't help because the rules wouldn't allow him to. He thought, I'm too important. I have things to do. Don't let these, these false expectations cause you to not do what God is asking you to do. The rules of, of society, social expectations, people that look different than you, act different than you, live their life differently than you. Maybe that live a totally godless life. Aren't we still supposed to love them? So should you love sinners? Yeah, of course. Should you care for sinners? Absolutely. Should you speak truth and love? Yes. Number four, do something. Just, just do something. Like we can all do something. I, 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 was, I, I just did a lesson on Nehemiah. We think about how each part of the, that community, the families, the different groups of people, they all took a, a place in rebuilding the wall. Well, what if we all did something? What if we all got involved? What if we all served? We served other people. We did things. And when it comes to serving, I think there's some things that are important. Serve, first of all, serve somewhere, anywhere. Just pick, just do something, serve. Maybe it's kids ministry. Maybe it's student ministry. Maybe it's mission trips. Maybe it's at the pregnancy, pregnancy center. Maybe it's with Youth for Christ and neighborhood groups. Maybe it's with our friends at Faith Extreme. Maybe it's, it's sweeping the parking lot. Whatever it is, do something. The other thing that I think is really important with this is that it's really easy for us to start to say things like, well, you know, if you don't go on a missions trip every year, do you even love Jesus? People actually think that. People actually believe, well, if you don't, if you don't serve the homeless, then you're not even a Christian. You know, I've come to realize that not everybody is called to come and sit with kids in jail and talk to them about Jesus. But that's okay, because I am so thankful that God called a lady to sit and talk to Addison's birth mom before she gave birth to show her that there was another option and that there was a family that would love her and care for her. 
Thank God for that person, right? Thank God for the person that serves the homeless. Thanks, thank God for the people that serve those that are incarcerated. Thank God for those that serve unplanned pregnancy. Thank God there are teachers. Thank God that there are preachers. Listen, serve somewhere and don't think that your service is the only service that matters. Oops, sorry, got a little passionate there. <laughs> serve, serve somewhere. Serve regularly, like plan it out. Like, like okay, every third Thursday, every other week, every Monday, just get into a routine of service. Make that a part of your life. And then in addition to serving regularly, serve sporadically, serve randomly. You see a need and you can do something about it, do it. You, there, there's something else going on. They're short over here. They need some, just jump in, be a part of it. Serve when prompted. And I wrote that down because I'm thinking there have been times in my life that I was driving along and I saw something. You ever had that moment? You're like, okay, God. Have you ever had that happen? I've had that happen. You know, where all of a sudden there's things to do, there's things going on, but just, you just know that God has given you this little nudge. Like, you know, you need to stop and talk to them. You need, you need to ask them if they're okay. You need to get them something to eat. You need to share this thing with them. You know, I know you've got that bill going up, but if you'll just trust me, I want you to give that money to them. That's hard. But, but, but serve when prompted. So I think that there's these takeaways that we can, we can look. In addition to help our neighbor which is kind of what we think about when we think of the Good Samaritan, that we should, we should do it not just simply following the rules, knowing that, that our obedience is not enough, it's our heart that matters, that we don't have to let the rules cause us to miss out, and that we should do something. But I think that it's really important that when we read this passage, that we understand that there was a really, really important question that was asked said in verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? See, oftentimes we go to this story, this, this parable that Jesus uses to teach about caring for our neighbor, which is good. We should learn from, from Jesus telling these stories and using these things. There's nothing wrong with that. But what was the question that was asked? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? See, this whole passage, yes, we learn about serving and caring for others, but it's really about how do I inherit eternal life? And I want you to understand this morning, the reality is that there's not enough half-dead, half beaten to death people on the side of the road that we can stop and help to inherit eternal life. You see, that's a lifestyle that comes out of a relationship with Jesus. That is something that, that, that because of who God is, because his love for us, we do for other people because he says we should. And because he loves us, we love them so that they can know his love. I have kids all the time say to me, why do you do this? Why, why do you take your time away from your family? Why do you come down to jail to talk to me? Why do you take us to summer camp? And the only answer that I have to give is because God loves me and wants me to love you so that you can know his 
love. See, this whole question, how do I inherit eternal life? We can't do enough good to justify ourselves. We can't follow the rules well enough to justify ourselves. You see, the heart of the rule, the heart of, of the reasons, the law, is not so we can make sure we check the box. Yep, I did it. I'm good for the next week. The heart of the law, the heart of the rules, is to show us our need, our great need for a Savior. That's, that's the reason. That's the, the heart of this. Not just so that we do more good. We should do good. We should love our neighbors. But it's to help us understand our need for a Savior. I came to know Christ as a little kid, but it wasn't until I was a teenager that I realized, oh, like I'm the one that's messed up. It's not everybody else. You know, I can know Jesus loves me, but until I realized that it's because of my sin that I was separated from God, I didn't quite get it. I think it's so important to realize, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, we have it in Scripture. God has given us this answer. He tells us in Romans 3.23, he reminds us that we're all separated from God because of our sin. And in Romans 6.23, that the punishment for that sin is death. That we are separated from God and that our punishment is death. Not just the physical death that we will face, but a spiritual death. A separation from God and everything that he has for us into a place called hell. But God, because of his agapal love for you and for me, he sent his son Jesus to rescue us as we were laying dead, beaten down from sin on the side of the road. He sent his son Jesus. We can't bring ourselves to life. There is nothing that I, if I fall down dead on this stage, there is nothing that I can do to bring myself to life. And it's the same thing in our sin. I cannot bring myself to salvation. It's only because of what Jesus did on the cross that I have even a hope that I can have this eternal life. Us who were undesirable, God sent his son to save and rescue us. And the reality is we all must ask ourselves the same question. We have to ask Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be rescued. You'll be picked up off the side of that road, your wounds bound up and taken to a place and given extreme, extravagant, lavish love, forgiveness. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. My prayer this morning is that not only for those of us that already have a relationship with Jesus, stop and recognize how we serve others, how we're supposed to love our neighbor, and why we're supposed to love our neighbor, but that if there's anybody here that has never come to the place where they've said, God, I need you. I need you. Through the power of the cross, rescue me, then I want to invite you today to begin that relationship with Jesus. You could be like that lawyer and be able to quote 
way more scripture than I can and still be laying dead on the side of the road until you say yes to Jesus, rescue me, save me. How do I inherit eternal life? Through a relationship with the Father through the Son. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can read and we, that those of us that have a relationship with you, that we can understand how we should live our life. Father, I thank you that, that you challenge us, that you instruct us to love other people, but that it's not for ourselves, God, it's so that they can know your love. God, my prayer is that, that you would help us to live that kind of life of service, life of care for others, God. But Father, I also pray that if there's any here today that they may have a head full of knowledge or this might be the first time that they've heard that you love them. God, I pray that today that they would say, yes, Jesus. That on the side of the road in our sin that that they would call out to you and say, rescue me. And if that's you today, it's, it's a simple prayer from your heart saying, God, I'm a sinner. God, I, I see that I was separated from you because of my sin. And Father, today I ask that you would save me. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. I want to surrender my life to you. I don't understand all of it the best way that I know how today. Yes, Jesus, save me. Be my Lord. God, thank you for the opportunity to, to be with this church, these people today, to proclaim your word. Father, I pray that you would give us opportunities and that we would respond as you do. I ask all this in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.